Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Hey, let's just get this out of the way right up front so you know where I stand. Alabama's performance on Saturday against Kentucky was about as dominant as you're ever going to see. And I put together some bullet points to sort of exemplify that. It's kind of like third grade math, you know, show your work a little bit. Well, here are the points that sort of draw me to that, that conclusion. Number one. Alabama was playing a physical team on a three-week layoff. And so it was close early, but we predicted that. We knew that Kentucky was going to come out, pop us in the mouth, and that Alabama was going to have to respond. And how they responded would dictate sort of the flow of the game. Well, I think we saw how Alabama responded. And the fact that this team had the ability to do that, the tenacity to do that, the willingness to do that, speaks to not only this being a dominant performance on Saturday, but it bodes well for the team moving forward. Point two, Kentucky is a time of possession team. Saban talked about this all week leading up to the game, and if you've seen any of Kentucky's performance during the season, you've seen this as well. They dominate the time of possession. They shrink the game. They hold the ball. They run, disproportionately run. They eat up the clock. They uh, consume time of possession. And so when Saban got annoyed that uh, someone asked the question, that's, that's that reporter not really paying attention to What's happening? And oh, by the way, Saban is also right that Alabama scores quickly. And Alabama scored quickly. However, Alabama ended up winning the time of possession. So time of possession team, uh, Alabama scores quickly and still manages to, to win the time of possession uh, against Kentucky. That's domination. Oh, by the way, point three, 63 to three was the score of the game. Alabama scored 63 points. Let that sink into the mentals a little bit. That's quite a lot. Nine touchdowns. Four, Kentucky loudly was down 10 players. And some for COVID, maybe some for injury, whatever it is. But boy, that certainly was the headline. That was certainly something that everyone knew about. Did you know that Alabama very quietly was down about eight players? Potentially some with COVID. We don't know. And I'm not counting Slade getting hurt in the game. I'm not counting Trey Sanders being out with injury, nor am I counting Waddle being out with injury. So were they down 9, 10, 11 players? Sure. Everyone knew about it. Did you know that Alabama was down in this game, 9, 10, 11 players? I bet you didn't. Point five. Three points allowed by the Alabama defense. Now, that's interesting in a couple of different ways. The Alabama defense itself scored seven points. So you could reason that Alabama's defense won the game seven to three. Also, a little bit of symmetry. Alabama allowed three points in the first quarter. Alabama did not allow any points in the following three quarters. So they allowed one point for every quarter of shutout that there was in the game. I thought that was impressive. Six, uh, defensive adjustments. Uh, Kentucky, out of the gates, led to time of possession, and they put up 104 yards in the first quarter. And uh, the Alabama defense allowed 75 yards the whole rest of the day. Uh, that's That speaks to adjustments. That speaks to dominant performance there on the defense. Point seven, Kentucky is the third or was the third number one ranked SEC defense at the time 
they played Alabama. See Georgia, see Mississippi State. They were both ranked number one SEC in the conference at the point of the Alabama game. Kentucky was the third. What's interesting, you know, see bullet three, Alabama put up 63 points against what was the number one ranked defense in the conference. And Alabama, I believe now is the number one ranked defense in the conference. Point eight, seven players log touchdowns in this game against Kentucky. What's interesting is four running backs, four were running backs. That speaks to depth and youth. One was a defensive back, obviously the pick six and two wide receivers. Point nine, Mac Jones had an off day, but see point three, Alabama put up 63 points. Point 10, the backups shined. Uh, tight end had a great day. The, the freshman running backs had a phenomenal day. The freshman quarterback had a phenomenal day. In fact, the backups on offense scored 21 points, uh, which itself is incredible. Typically, uh, uh, the Alabama teams this season have turtled up uh, offensively when the backups come, to the, come into the game. Uh, the backups on Saturday shined. Now, we like our bonuses here on the Alabama Football Podcast, so I've got two bonus uh, items on uh, to help exemplify or illustrate this being such a dominant performance. There was no, oh, well, we're having an off day. How many times have we seen Alabama? Now, typically this predates Saban, uh, but certainly early in Saban's tenure, we've seen Alabama teams that come out, and if they don't dominate early, they just have an, oh, well, it's not our day sort of mentality, and it's a long slog of a day. Not on Saturday. We got hit in the mouth by Kentucky. We knew that that was going to happen, and they reacted, and they reacted about as favorably, as positively as you would ever want them to. Again, 63 points. There was no, oh, well, let's get out of this game, live to fight another day. We're having an off day. No, they rallied, and they dominated. And 12, point 12, there were four penalties. Alabama had four penalties uh, in the game. That's about half uh, what the what the team had been averaging. Uh, so that was pretty darn impressive. All right, before we segue into sort of the regularly scheduled programs, uh, I want to call out. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our Leg- Legends Drinkware. Uh, look, we're doing another contest with Legends Drinkware. These glasses, these tumblers are just phenomenal. And uh, we're going to do another giveaway, super easy to participate, and you have a chance to win either a pair of the tumblers or a pair of the pints. We all know that Legends Drinkware elevates the game day experience and certainly the brown water drinking experience. And the contest is sort of parallel with that. What Alabama player, in your mind, elevated the game day experience? Maybe it's a player on the current team. Maybe it's a player in in recent uh, past Maybe it's your favorite player from many, many years ago. It was a player that you like, appreciate, enjoyed, and something about their play, their passion, their production really elevated the game day experience for you. Drop us an email, uh, alabamafootballpodcast at gmail.com. Go to alabamafootballpodcast.com and use the contact button. Send us an email, your favorite players. And let me just tell you, you have a great chance. The odds are in your favor. And if you think that's a hint, yes, that's a hint. Uh, If you think I'm alluding to something, yes, I'm alluding to something. Get your entry in. You have a phenomenal chance of winning the contest. All right. Now, let's transition to sort of our our sort of regular sequence, uh, regularly scheduled uh, podcast. We're going to jump into offense just like we do. Uh, We might parallel some of those points, likely we do. 
But I uh, just had to get those off my chest uh, at the beginning. I, I think about how dominant that game was, how satisfying that game was. And those are, the, those are the thoughts that sort of bounce around in my brain, resonate the most. And so I wanted to make sure that we focused on those uh, up front. Now let's step through uh, some, some offensive and defensive sightings, much like we do. Mac Jones was 16 of 24 for 230, uh, two touchdowns and a pick. And that's that's kind of a um, an AJ McCarron early AJ McCarron uh, stat line. That's that's kind of a uh, maybe a, a Coker uh, stat line, uh, especially early in, in his playing days. If we go back to the four starts that Mac Jones had in 2019, these this statistically this was his worst day. Yet Alabama put up 63 points and looked dominant. It would be easy to leave that game and think that he had a 400-yard day uh, when you look at uh, the number of touchdowns scored and the points, but he didn't. He had what you might call a subpar day, but that, but the team was still dominant, uh, and that the team could still be dominant with Mac having a bad day speaks to how powerful this Alabama team is. So we should be, uh, we should be really, really encouraged that Matt can have a little bit of an off day. I think he's going to bounce back. I don't think this is the new Mac. I just think this was his day uh, to be uh, maybe a little less than, and uh, and the team certainly uh, stepped in and and, and carry the water there. Uh, Mac's going to be back and full strength as ever, and uh, I'm encouraged by that. But it's it was it was good to see. This will sound sort of backwards. It was good to see him have a little bit of an off day, and the team still looks so dominant. I would dare say if Kyle Trask had equally uh, a less than day, that Florida would not look so dominant. Uh, and in fact, check their game against Vanderbilt. Right. So, so that's encouraging. Now. It was also encouraging some of the things that we saw from Mac during the day. He threw a couple of lasers uh, to Smitty that were just, just they seemed to sort of defy the space-time continuum. How he laced that ball through some of those holes I think were phenomenal. I think you're if you're an NFL scout and you're watching that game, you saw some things from Mac that maybe you didn't think he had, that you didn't think were part of his game. He, he, he Not just throwing up balls for someone to run under, uh, and that looks like a phenomenal pass. But really, the vision, the running one direction, the receiver going the other, uh, going you know the other direction, and there being just a narrow window window between the the defenders, where we're able to to sort of work that ball in the vision, the precision, uh, the laser of the throw, just phenomenal. Now, I'll say this uh, about Mac, and I did not see the TV version of the game. This was live, and uh, there were a couple. A couple of points during, so I don't know if this was on the broadcast or not. Uh, I've probably read about 50 articles, skimmed about 50 articles from the game. I know it's a it's a bad habit that I have, and I didn't see this written anywhere. And so I don't know if they if they spoke to it, if it's in an er- interview, but it's not in any of the articles that I read. But I saw it coming out of half, and I saw it multiple times during uh, the course of the game. Once Kentucky was on sort of an extended drive, so Alabama was on defense. Once it was a change of possession. Once I think there was a player down and there was a little bit of a of a timeout. But Mac went to the sideline and was working his shoulder. You could see he was trying to loosen it up. He was twisting his body like he was trying to trying to loosen up a little bit, and he was getting some extra throwing reps. Now, typically quarterbacks will do that. It's not anything necessarily – unusual to see, but the way that he was just working his torso and working his shoulder, just, it, it felt like it looked like 
he had a little bit of dis discomfort. And we've all been there where we've got a shoulder that's maybe a little bulky and it's kind of bothering us and, and we shake it and we wiggle it and we move it and we're just trying to get it to sort of work out a kink or something. That's what Mac was doing. It looked exactly like that. And uh, so not suggesting that his injury, uh, that he's injured uh, because he continued to play and he threw some of these balls even after uh, having observed that. But it's interesting to see maybe he just slept on the wrong. Maybe it's nothing. Uh, but that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, that's sort of a, a point of interest. But again, it did not impact his play. That's not why he came out when he did. The score differential was was clearly sort of the message there. Uh, but speaking of Matt coming out, Bryce Young, wow. Um, and, I, and that's really what I want to say. He had his wow moments. He played uh, well against Missouri. He looked okay. You could see a little bit of the spark. You could see a little bit of, oh, this is what kind of why people like him. But there was no question about the pop, the wow factor that he demonstrated Saturday against Kentucky. Your grandma could see this, right? This was not you had to be a quarterback whisperer, savant, and deep study of nerd of the game to see, oh, yes, he's got that, that it factor. Oh, that's just incredible. No, you saw Bryce Young throw some passes for like, holy dude, this guy can play. This guy can ball, can ball out. And, um, it, you know, he was really only two for two on passing. Score differential had a lot to do with his, his limited passing, but he threw a couple of really nice balls. One was uh, sort of over the defender's shoulder to, to Smitty, and uh, one was in traffic uh, at the near at near the goal line, uh, definitely in traffic, and he threw it on the back hip, uh, which is really sort of the only sliver of open uh, of openness, if you will, uh, that Smitty had, and so two perfectly located. Balls, each requiring their own sort of finesse to to get them uh, to get them where they needed to be. His second pass was in a lot of traffic. He was almost sort of taken down at the line of scrimmage. Had to, had to scroll out, and it did look there was a little. It just uh, where did I see this? It was touchdown Alabama. Um, uh, uh, Stephen Smith over there said, you know, the second pass looked like a Pat Mahomes. Uh, type pass. And I thought that was a little, eh, I'm not sure I'd buy that, but then I went back and, and he had a, a video clip there. So I went back and looked at it again and I said, no, that's exactly what that looks like. That looks like uh, Pat Mahomes. And so uh, I thought, I thought that was impressive. I'm not calling him that. I'm not saying he is that I'm just saying, damn, that was impressive. Uh, and, uh, and so we look really good there with Bryce Young and, and his youth. Um, talking about Smitty, he had a phenomenal day, uh, nine catches, 144, uh, two touchdowns. He continues to be art. It's not like his play is like art. His play is art. You should just put all of his plays on a on a repeat and put them in a museum somewhere because he he he, he plays with a flair. He plays with an artistry. He plays just like a magician, magician or musician. I don't care. Uh, both together. Uh, that's sort of the artistry that he exemplifies in his play. And what's interesting is I don't know that I would call this Saturday his his best game. Uh, he definitely dropped a couple of balls that that uh, hit him hit him in the hands. And uh, but nonetheless, the play that he put out there, the product that he puts on the field, is always top shelf. It's outstanding. And uh, the fact that uh, during this game he took over not just the Alabama all time but the SEC all time. Uh, touchdown reception uh, totals is uh, is phenomenal. Uh, Najee, what do you want to say about Najee? He continues to do something every week that just scratch your head that, that just, damn, this guy's good. He had a 42-yard touchdown, which turns out was his longest run 
uh, longest touchdown run of his career, uh, which is definitely uh, phenomenal. But just the the vision, he saw a seam, he turned up quickly, uh, accelerated, and uh, took off to the pylon. And it was interesting, sort of the defenders were coming across the field, uh, safety, it's a corner, you know, that they probably are going to have the top end speed uh, ahead of him. And, and Najee was just swatting him away, like, get away from me. I'm going to score this touchdown. And it, when he got to, you know, to the five, to the four, where he knew he was, you know, he was at the, the, the end zone, he, he went ahead and dove uh, so that he knew, knew that he was going to get into the end zone. But I like his, his vision, uh, his burst, his tenacity. And, of course, he had two catches on the game too, so his versatility there as well. Uh, speaking of running backs, we saw two true freshmen, uh, Roydell Williams and uh, Jace McClellan, I hate to compare the two, but because they played sort of both sort of back and forth, uh, it's an impossible not to. And in that comparison uh, on Saturday, uh, Jace was just incredibly uh, impressive. He had nine, he had 10 uh, carries for 99 yards, one touchdown, uh, one touchdown, uh, definitely had burst, had vision, had speed. Um, he looked so darn fluid running the ball. Uh, it was phenomenal. And in fact, he looked a little bit, like uh, Trey Sanders uh, a couple of weeks ago against Mississippi State, uh, bouncing the ball outside, a little swivel in his hips, a little burst uh, in, in his pocket. And uh, I thought uh, I thought Jace looked really, really good. And we should be really proud of these youngsters uh, at the running back uh, position and just super excited uh, about what the offense is going to look like when they're in control over the next couple of years. Uh, Jaleel Billingsley really burst out Saturday. Uh, which was impressive. Uh, what's interesting is, you know, Jaleel was one of those guys that we predicted at the beginning of the season. At, uh, his versatility might be something that works into the offense and, uh, and, and creates matchup problems. And we've not yet seen that, but we saw a Saturday on full display. Uh, he had three catches for 78 yards, uh, including the opening drive. He looked really, really impressive. And we, we moved him around. Uh, he lined up at multiple positions, but spent uh, quite a lot of time lined up at the slot. And what's, in, what's interesting is we expected during this sort of extended delay that, that you know, we're get, we need to find another offensive weapon. Uh, and we thought maybe it would be a receiver. We thought maybe it would be uh, Javon Baker. And it may yet still be uh, Baker in, in some capacity. But it was interesting to see that it was Jalil. And I'm super excited about what we can start to do with him and the matchups that we can create. Uh, do we line them out in the slot and they move a linebacker over? I'll take that matchup all day long. Do we move them over and they're going to put maybe a safety or a corner on him for better coverage ability? But maybe that gives uh, Jalil an opportunity to outbody that person and, and become uh, open in a short yardage type situation. So I like the, uh, the opportunities that uh, that brings to the mix. I also want to talk about uh, Jalil sort of stepped in. Miller Forrestal was a late scratch. And I want to give a tip of the cap to um, Miller Forrestal. Uh, he had a, a shoulder and leg injury. Saban said that he could have played if they needed him, but they said, let's give him another uh, another week off. Well, early in the season, for one of the injuries, I guess it would have been the leg, you know, Forrestal was carted off the field and then came back and played in that game. And he left another game, went to the locker room with a shoulder injury, and came back and played in that game. And so he's getting these injuries, but he's coming back, continuing to play. Definitely almost a, a wounded warrior type mentality that, he, that he's coming in with. Uh, no disrespect, disrespect to uh, service members there. But, but just the, the level of injury that he's, in, that he's sort of incurring, uh, but coming into play. And then the fact that three weeks of not playing – 
he still could benefit by more time off. That just speaks to uh, how durable and how tough he has been uh, in his play to this point. Uh, Carl Tucker, he was targeted. Uh, and so that means uh, now Carl Tucker is the transfer uh, tight end. He was targeted, uh, but missed a pass. But I thought that was interesting. That's something we saw in Mississippi State that, oh, look at that. He ran a route. Are we going to start incorporating him into the passing game? And it looked like we attempted Looked like we attempted to, so that's certainly something to keep uh, keep a watch on. Uh, I mentioned Javon Baker, and again, we thought he would be the breakout offensive player this week. I would have guessed, you know, maybe four catches on the game. We didn't quite see that, but he was on the field a lot, which I thought was interesting. Uh, he was on the field a lot, and then he lined up in trips uh, a lot with um, with Smitty and Mechie, and I thought that was interesting. Now, I don't know if it's just sort of my old man eyes. Or if this is uh, if this is coincidental, or if this is intentional, but when you have Mechie number eight and Smitty number six and Baker number five, all those single digit numbers from a distance they all start to kind of look alike. And so, do we line up in a trips formation and have the three receivers run in three different directions? And you do that a couple of different plays, and they're mixing up where they're going and who's got who, and maybe they're mixing up where they're even standing. You can almost manufacture some confusion there. And in that it's that little extra confusion because the whole numbering sequence is so close, the numbers and on, on a flash it might be even hard to, to see or read the numbers. Either that or I'm telling them myself. I don't know. Uh, offensive line continued to look good. Uh, I really like what we're seeing from the offensive line. They continue uh, to look robust, to look strong. And uh, I will say there's one thing to watch out for, and I think we uh, I think we called this out in the Mississippi State game as well. Uh, Deontay Brown uh, at one point seemed a little dinged up. He didn't come out, I think, ahead of the rest of the linemen. But uh, but if he didn't have to run to the sideline, he didn't. <laughs> he walked. Uh, if he knew that you know the play was coming back, then he just stood there. And so he seemed to very much limit his mobility. He came off the sideline once and and tried to do some stretches. Uh, looked like he was trying to loosen him himself, uh, loosen himself up, not in a shoulder area like Mac was, uh, more of a lower body. And so it'll be interesting to see. And again, that's something I didn't see anything talked about. I didn't see anything reported. And like I said, I've not watched the game broadcast, so I don't know if they talked about it there. Likely they didn't. But uh, just something to, to keep an eye out there. All right, many game balls on offense. Um, I think he's earned one in the past. He's earning one again uh, this week. I'm going Kendall Rudolph. Ah, man, even when I write it down, I get his name wrong. I, I just That's just more hate mail for me, I guess. It's Kendall Randolph, and we love Kendall Randolph, even though I struggle with his name. And I don't know. You know what? I do know what it is about his name that I struggle with. It's Kendall Randolph. But at my age, I have so many names sort of bat, batting around in my head. I think a lot of Kyle Rudolph, which uh, was a tight end for Notre Dame. So it's another KR name uh, at the tight end position. And then I'm old enough to to think about Willie Randolph. And uh, that name sort of uh, sort of gets in, in the mix. And so it seems that I incessantly screw up uh, Kendall Randolph's name. And that's that's just me. That's no disrespect for the player. Uh, at any rate, um, as much as I struggle with the name, damn it, he's getting a mini game ball uh, for his his versatility. He comes in and plays early in the game, m- most 
you know, through most of three quarters at a tight end and primarily a blocking tight end, uh, but still at a tight end. And so that's one responsibility set that he has. And then uh, they'll announce that, you know, he's changing jerseys uh, to 60 and then he lines up uh, as a lineman. What's interesting, I, I got to laugh. They called the transition that he was changing his jersey. So I guess they check in uh, with the officials uh, to do that. <clears throat> and they announced that to the stadium that he that he was was checking in and changes changing his jersey. And they did that at the point uh, of I think we had just punted uh, to Kentucky. So Kentucky was taking possession of the ball. And that's when they announced that uh, our tight end would be changed into a lineman number. Uh, and so it went, a whole po- it went a whole possession without really being meaningful information. Uh, I got a kick out of that. Maybe I'm alone uh, in that. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. Apparently Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware Glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo, well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right, now flipping the field on defense. So how about this defense? I'm just going to bask in this because this is sort of a prediction that I had from the beginning of the season, and we're seeing it happen. I've even tweeted it's happening. I didn't do that this week, um, <clears throat> although I probably should have because it's 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 so true. Uh, this defense continues to be a steady work in progress. 11 of the last 14 quarters played. This defense has uh, pitched a shutout, which is phenomenal uh, against Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky was two of 13 on third down conversions. Again, that speaks to getting off the field. That's checking all of the Saban defensive boxes. And this is after taking three weeks off. So imagine, you know, you're working there at the delicatessen and you've not made a sandwich for three weeks. I bet you might be a little sloppy with the mustard. Uh, you might be a little sloppy with with the mayonnaise. Now by lunch, you've got you've got the you've got it kinked out. You've got it worked out, and you're ready to go. Uh, but uh, there might be a little bit of a, a sloppiness from the jump. And so everyone who who wants to sort of get their panties in a wad about 104 uh, yards in the first quarter is intentionally ignoring the 75 yards allowed over the rest of the game. They're intentionally ignoring the fact that this is a physical team that's going to come out and and pop us in the mouth. They were masterful in their use of formations to create a confusing look on offense. They just didn't have the personnel to execute it. In many regards, I thought their alignments were more complex to interpret on the fly than what Ole Miss did. Watching watching the game, it was hard to see. Is that a tight end? Who's who's the open receiver? And uh, and then the motions, uh, and not open receivers, but who are the the eligible receivers in this formation? Uh, you really had to study, pay attention, look really closely. And again, I thought it was even more confusing from a formation standpoint 
than what Ole Miss uh, was using. Now you study a little bit and sort of you get a sense for it. You know the numbers. You know what the the players are going to be. I've not studied it like our defensive players did, uh, but nonetheless, it took them a minute to uh, to adjust. And and when they adjusted, it was lights out. Uh, it was lights out for the Cats. And certainly the Cats don't have the same sort of talent level that that Ole Miss did, but but nonetheless. Uh, I don't want to rule that out as uh, as something to to watch, and then the fact that the defense didn't just resign themselves to well, this first quarter sucks. This is going to be a long day. They said, you know, nope, we have agency over this. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna adjust and we're gonna shut these guys down. And they absolutely absolutely without question uh, they did. The secondary is getting visually better, but again, that's a prediction that we put out at the beginning of the season. We are seeing it. The players are playing with much more confidence. I still say the defensive MVP is Josh Job. I know he, he had a penalty that you think, what the hell was he thinking? Uh, but he continues to play really, really well. Uh, opposite PS2, uh, you really have two quarters of the field uh, essentially taken away, uh, which is pretty darn impressive. Daniel Wright, I think people wanted to ride him out of town uh, the first couple of weeks of the season, and and I thought that he might even lose uh, lose his job, but he looks, he continues to look incredibly comfortable, uh, on the field. He had, uh, eight tackles on the day, uh, definitely physical, definitely fast. I think he needs to wrap up. He's a little too Marcus Carter, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, not demonstrating the arms. Uh, I'd like to see more of that. Uh, but he continues to play really, really well, really, really fast. And, you know, physical with with the eight tackles, uh, which was a knack, uh, a knock early, and it just seems to have a knack for for reading the play and getting into uh, the right place. I think this is a guy that we're seeing seeing develop before our eyes, and I think this is a guy that if he comes back for one more year, that he has the chance to be maybe a second team uh, All SEC type player. Uh, he has that type of talent, and he just needs that at least still a little rough around the edge. Uh, but what we're seeing in him today is something incredibly different than we saw six or eight weeks ago. Uh, Jordan Battle, um, you know, I, is a testament to his comfort, the fact that he baited the throw for uh, the interception. So, and we always think about baiting the throw. Uh, it's such a sexy thing to, to have the words come out of your mouth and you sound like you know what you're talking about when you talk about defensive backs when, when you say that. But what does that, what does that really mean? That means you're playing a game with the guy you're playing a game with. That means not only am I covering him, but I still I feel so comfortable that I know what he's going to do relative to my own physical capability that I'm going to make him think that he's open. I'm going to make the quarterback think that he's open. And then I have enough confidence in my scheme, in my talent, in my ability that I'm going to jump that pass. And so it's one thing to get out there and exert all of your mental and physical energy in just covering the guy. And you can be really good at that, and that's great. But there's another extra little layer that says, oh, I know I've got him covered. I can play off from him and still know that I've got him covered. And if that baits a throw, then I'm going to get a pick six here. And that's exactly what uh, Jordan Battle did. And so there's a little extra comfort when you start to see that, that the players are playing. Now, they can mess up. They can get it wrong. And they're overconfident, uh, but when you when you sort of thread that that sort of the needle, so to speak, uh, and Battle definitely did that, and uh, and he had another one really close. Uh, I was kidding that he must have really liked the taste of that touchdown because it looked like he almost had him another. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if he does get another before the before the season is over. Uh, Christian Harris, I think he heard the bye week podcast, and I think he heard me, you know, questioning him not being the leading tackler. I, I predicted that he would finish the season as the leading tackler, and he racked up quite a number of tackles. He had eleven tackles uh, on the day; eight were solo. Christian Harris is a weapon back there uh, at the linebacker position. Uh, Will Anderson continues to blow up the run on the on the RPO fakes. And I'm going to say this. I I think it was funny at first, maybe a little bit cute, you know, like, oh, man, we're going to he's going to get that, you know, handoff someday. And he and he may well. But the more I see it and the more I think about it, the more I think, damn, he is playing his role. He is doing his job, as Saban would say. He is playing with an incredible amount of discipline because when he crashes down, you don't see him like decide, you know, try to figure out which one am I going to clean up. He knows my assignment's the runner. My assignment is the runner. My assignment is the runner. And to the extent there's a quarterback, he's not barely even thinking of the quarterback. He's thinking about his assignment, which is the runner. And most of the time he takes down the running back, the running back doesn't have the ball. But think about that in terms of the RPO for the entire rest of the defense. For the, for the other 10 players on defense, is it really an RPO? Because they're not going to run, and if they do run, Will Anderson's got that job. He's got that man. And so almost everyone else doesn't have to worry about the R in the RPO. They need to play the P in the RPO. And, uh, and I think that speaks to Will Anderson's discipline. I know that I'm simplifying that probably way too much so, but when you, when you look at a guy that continually tackles the running back on those plays, even when the running back doesn't have the ball, you can't argue that that guy's not playing his assignment, that he's not doing his job. You can't argue that. And the discipline uh, that that takes. And so I continue to sort of tip my cap at Will Anderson as we continue to see him uh, grow and develop. Defensive line, if there's a if there's a unit in the defense that we need to see more from, it's the defensive line. They have the the most room to improve, and I think it will. This is a prediction time, right? Write this down, kids. The defensive line, we're going to see visual improvement. It'll be visually noticeable improvement from the defensive line uh, over over these coming weeks. And here's why I say that. We have, depending upon making up the LSU game and playoffs and whatever that looks like, we probably have five or six games left, Alabama does. And so that's enough of a sample size. That's enough of a runway. If we had two more games left, I, you couldn't make the same prediction. You could say they might, they might get a little bit better, but did they get demonstratively better in two games? Probably not. Five games, that's enough margin that we can see it. And here's why I think that. LeBron Ray has been – uh, out for injury for several weeks now. In fact, I saw a stat that uh, was a little bit mind-boggling, and I'll forget the exact numbers, but directionally, the numbers went like this. Uh, of the 20X games that, that LeBron Ray has has been on the team for, that Alabama's played while LeBron Ray has been on the team, he's played in six of them. Think about that, six. That's That's halfway through someone's freshman season. And LeBron Ray's a junior. And so, uh, and when you're not, when you can't go in the games, that means you're not practicing. And think of all of the the talent. He's a five-star. Think of all the talent that LeBron Ray has that's still in the bottle. 
And so as he gets back into practice and then competing in the game, when he gets over this injury, he's, he's still got it in him to sort of erupt, to, to blow up. And I think there's an opportunity we might see some of that uh, over the balance of this season. Tim Smith. I'm going to give a tip of the cap to Tim Smith, uh, uh, defensive lineman number 50, true freshman. Uh, he came into the game uh, on the first defensive drive, on the first defensive Alabama's first defensive uh, possession or defensive uh, series. That's what I, that's the word I'm going for series. And what's interesting is he came in on a a key uh, rundown. I want to say it was second down, and it was a key rundown. It was, but it was early in the game. It was definitely the first series, and Tim Smith came in. And there have been times we wouldn't see him until the fourth quarter. We wouldn't see him maybe into the third quarter. But we're starting to see Tim Smith work himself into the game earlier and earlier. Part of that is I still think DJ Dale is coming back from injury because we've seen DJ Dale be dominant. We know that he can do it. We're not seeing it this season. So it makes me think there's still some nagging injury there. Uh, Tim Smith, the the younger, the fresher, the hungrier uh, player, as he continues to learn the system, he may well, from a flat-footed start, uh, be a better player than DJ Dale. That that may be true, but I'm not going to say that DJ DJ Dale has lost it either. Early last year, as a true freshman, uh, wearing that 94 and 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 some of his movement, it, he was reminiscent of Deron Payne. And so, is he ever going to be that good? No. But can he be reminiscent of it again? Yes, he can. And so I think we're gonna I think we're gonna see DJ Dale continue to get better and healthy. Some of that maybe in the coming weeks. Some of that maybe next season. We're gonna see more and more Tim Smith. Uh, the fact that the coaches trust him in early possessions, uh, early series within the game, I think is is telling there. Uh, Byron Young continues to grow and evolve and and, and uh, look really really good. Uh, Christian Barmore started the season with an injury, didn't play the first game. I think he's continuing to round in the health and really looking good. Uh, I thought he was impressive uh, Saturday against Kentucky. Uh, as he continues to round in the form, I think he's going to elevate the entire uh, entire defensive line. Uh, Jamil Burrows, another true freshman, and again another player that that plays maybe you know in the second half when the game is determined. Uh, but he put up a tackle, and the fact that he's rotating in and producing. Uh, a little bit, uh, I think, is impressive. There's any number of additional players uh, at Boyby uh, that we could mention, and um, uh, Fidarian, uh, I think, continues to play well uh, and be nimble for his size. It's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of depth, and we have these injured guys that are still, you know, freshly dinged. Uh, we're still coming back from being dinged up. Uh, I think this defensive line is going to continue to improve, and so kind of mark my words here. That's That's my prediction. Uh, speaking of mini game balls <clears throat> on defense, I'm going to Marco Hellams. Intentionally try to get through uh, the secondary conversation without uh, mentioning Hellams. And I'm going to tell you what, there's a little bit of a pattern that we're seeing. We're seeing, you know, through a point in the game, and I don't want to say a quarter because it's more score differential and, and when we're making this rotation, but we reach a point in the game where we have our starter, we still have all of our starters in, but we rotate one player and the player that we rotate is Daniel Wright out and DeMarco Hellams in. And I haven't yet sort of debugged the the reason, the rationale, sort of why are we, you know, sort of rotating those guys in. But there's a point in the game 
that we do that. And it and it's not, listen, it's not when we go from nickel to dime that we bring them in. No, it's 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 still a nickel, but we're rotating in uh at that at that one safety spot and uh and Hellums comes in. So that's just an interesting sort of wrinkle that we're seeing in the in the secondary play. And when DeMarco comes in, you know, set your spectacles to 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 29 on defense because he is just about to light someone up. The stat sheets, and I've looked at a couple of the stat sheets, say that he only had one tackle. And I guarantee you there's a Wildcat whose bell is still ringing, and they would beg to differ that DeMarco uh, didn't have didn't have two. He came in and laid wood uh, a couple of times, and it was pretty darn impressive. And so DeMarco Hellams, as he continues to, to grow and evolve and, and get additional reps, um, I think we've got – seven defensive backs that we start to feel really, really comfortable with. Uh, we talk about uh, Job and PS2 uh, at the um, uh, at the corner positions, and uh, and then we can we can go Jordan Battle and Daniel Wright at the safeties. We've got Malachi uh, at the at the um, at the star. Uh, then you can bring Brian Branch in for uh, for the money. And then we can rotate uh, Demarco Hellams in. So there's the there's the the dime package, which is six defensive backs, and then we rotate Demarco Hellams in for Daniel Wright, still with a starting unit. So it's as if we have seven starters uh, in the secondary, and we wouldn't have said that week week one, week two, certainly week three, we would not have said that. And um, as we sit here now, unequivocally. Uh, I, I say that and believe that, and I'm seeing it with my own eyes. So mini game ball, uh, DeMarco Helms. All right, special teams. Um, I really like what we're seeing on, on special teams. It's not outstanding. It's not spectacular. It's not like Vatek, you know, blocking kicks every game or something, uh, sort of back uh, back in, in, in their golden era of, of special teams play. But it's steady. And it's solid, and it's 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 game winning. Uh, I like Will Reichert. Uh, you know, I, I like sort of the uh, Saban's uh, comment on him potentially being the best kicker in the country. Um, we're starting to see that. Uh, as much concern, lamenting as there's been the last couple of years over Alabama kickers, uh, Will Reichert uh, definitely seems to have cleaned some of that up. He was nine for nine of PATs, and I know we say PATs, but hey. <laughs> He hit nine of them and um, hasn't missed one on the season, knock on wood, no jinx. And um, we have definitely have seen uh, PATs be uh, be a struggle uh, the last uh, the last couple of years. So nine of nine is, is definitely a good day. The kickoffs continue to not reach the end zone. I continue to believe that's intentional, uh, that we're trying to pin. Uh, we're trying to force the opponent to make a bad decision. Uh, if they get the ball in the five, then there's a window where they're going to get the fall, ball in the five. Uh, not call a fair catch, try to return it, and then we pin them inside of what would have been the 25. There's also an increased opportunity that we could force them into a fumble-type situation. I'm not going to rule out the possibility of that, and if it, if that is sort of the 1%, you know, if you do everything 1% better, then uh, then uh, then you're going to be much improved. I think there was like a, an article, a study, the uh, the British um, uh, is a bicycle racing team, and they and they tried to do everything one percent better, 
and uh, they ended up having sort of a dominant stretch uh, in, in competitions. And so if the philosophy is let's do everything 1% better, and if we can kick it just inside, you know, at the five, six, eight yard line and force them into a bad decision, then that's a, that's an opportunity strategically for us to sort of demonstrate a 1% better uh, approach to things. I'll subscribe to that theory. I just don't like it. Um, I just, I just don't like it. They're going to, you know, the, the risk of them returning one, uh, I think is real. And it's not to say I don't like our coverage teams, uh, but certainly they could break one. And uh, as we know, kickoffs, um, we definitely have seen our share of injury on that. And, and we'll talk about that. Uh, Charlie Scott seems to have sewed up the, the punting job. Uh, I never would have, uh, and I'm not mad at anybody. I just would have guessed that, that P. Ryan uh, was going to be the punter uh, from the beginning. But Charlie Scott, uh, I think he had two punts on the day, averaged 46 uh, yards punting. Uh, you know, those are pretty good numbers. One kickoff return, uh, Brian Robinson. So here I'm going to go on the other side. It's one thing when we're covering kicks. is nothing when, when we're returning them. All right, so Alabama had one kickoff return on the day, and Brian Robinson fielded it. Brian Robinson returned the ball to the 25. Now guess what? That's the same spot that the officials would have spotted the ball had he just waved it off, had he just taken a knee, uh, and wave the ball off. Had he just let the ball run into the end zone, but Brian Robinson returned it and returned it to the 25. So he gets credit for a 25 yard credit. And you could say, well, you know, everything's equal. So it works out, but guess what? That's the play. That's the play where Slade Bolden got hurt. He immediately after that kickoff went to the tent, went to the tent. And again, I don't know if they covered that on TV, but watching it live, that's exactly what happened. He limped off the field after that play went to the tent. Now, Slade Bolden also went out with the bum ankle. Now, he went back out and we said, oh, okay, he's fine because he's filled in punts. And he filled it a punt. He filled it. He caught it. And he fair caught it. And he caught it and he handed it to the official and proceeded to limp back off into the sideline. And it was so noticeable from the stands that Greg, I was at the game with, with my buddy Greg, and he goes, he couldn't have returned that. <laughs> what was he doing out there? He couldn't have run with that if it had been blocked up perfectly. And that's exactly right. I think he was out there for his short hands. But here's what we're talking about. <laughs> They'll give it to you for free on the damn 25. And 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 is it sometimes worth taking the risk or taking a shot? Yeah, it is. It is. As a rule, do you always want to do that? Do you always want to go that level of sort of balls to the wall? I don't think so uh, because you there are higher – percentage opportunities to have success. And especially if you've done all your homework and study all your film and you know who's better at special teams than than not. And the couple times that we've tried to, to return kicks that maybe we shouldn't have, we've had players go down. Now does that mean returning it when you shouldn't have equals players going down? No. But does it does it equal the opportunity for players to get hurt? Absolutely it does. And Slade Bolden, who wasn't I mean he was blocking. He wasn't even the return guy. Uh he gets hurt on on that play. I haven't heard anything definitive. I'm hearing uh, sprained ankle, um, and I haven't even heard anything definitive in terms of how long he'll be out. Hopefully, he'll he'll be back because what's interesting is you know Jalen Waddle was returning uh, obviously kickoffs, but uh, in the punt return game, Jalen Waddle was the punt returner, uh, and then Slade Bolden became the punt returner. And then, whoa, wait a second, is that Smitty back there returning punts? I'm not sure. I like that because. All our punt runner turners are going are going down with injury, and and so on one hand you can reason well you want your best guys out there uh, for punt returns. Okay, that makes sense. But I'm down to my third guy, my third punt returner, 
And the other two are also my best guys at wide receiver. So if you absolutely use your best punt returner, that you're taking away your best from someone else. Hypothetically, what if Mac Jones were our best punt returner? Would we want him returning punts? The hell to the no, we would. And so when we get to the point where Waddle, Smitty, uh, you know, Waddle and 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 Slade and and now Smitty, is that where we want to put Smitty? No, I don't think it is. I think we need to figure out uh, someone else. And what's interesting, and it's not in any of the stat reports, but my eyes saw it. You know who returned punts after? Smitty, it was PS2. It was PS2. It was Patrick Sertain. He he fielded uh he fielded a, a punt. It was just a fair catch, but but he fielded it. And you think I don't want I don't want him out there either. And it's not that I let's put someone out there to like sacrifice that other guy, but let's put something someone else out there, especially in a game where it's locked up. The score doesn't matter. No one's returning it. You know, it's the uh, a punt return for a touchdown is not going to really impact the outcome of the game. Uh, can we give reps to someone else? Uh, to, to build their level of comfort. Uh, is it one of the freshman running backs? Is it one of the freshman wide receivers? I have to think that some of these players have experience fielding punts uh, in high school and that we can spend them, you know, send them out on a Wednesday afternoon in practice and, you know, field 50 of these jokers and uh, see if we can't build up some, some repetition there. That's, uh, I have to think that. Uh, so anyways, that's sort of a long, uh, a long thing on special teams, which you guys know I do that when I sort of get wound up on a on a special teams topic. So we're going to transition to from special teams. Ah, yes. We are transitioning to what is next. Well, what is next? Auburn is next. The Iron Bowl. It's not really the Iron Bowl. Uh, sort of in a historical uh, sort of name origin basis, but that's fine. We'll, we'll keep the name. That's fine. But the Orange Bowl is uh, the uh, Orange Bowl. The Iron Bowl is next, um, coming up here Saturday uh, after Thanksgiving. And so, um, here's what I think about the Orange Bowl. Damn it, the Iron Bowl. The Iron Bowl. Here's what I think. It said Auburn in their stupid orange color, and I always think of orange when I think of Auburn, and I hate the color of orange. And so we're in this crappy color uh, uh, bowl game, uh, orange playing Auburn, but it's really the Iron Bowl, and I know this. So the Iron Bowl. You know, Seneca wrote that anger is a form of madness. He felt that being ruled by your passions, that they could impede your decision-making abilities, that it really impacted your intellect, your intelligence. And, of course, he was writing about the mad king Nero uh, at the time. And it's probably true. If you go around sort of fuming, angry all of the time, that it's going to lead you to make some some bad decisions. But anger can also be a tool. It can also be a weapon. The low, slow boil. I think that's different than enraged anger, spewing, venom, yelling, screaming, blood vessel sort of bursting. That low boil. I think that's different. And that's what I think this Alabama team has. I think this Alabama team wanted LSU. They really wanted to get their hands on LSU. And instead, they got Kentucky after an extra week off. And I think Kentucky paid for some of LSU's sins because this team was primed. They were going to knock the tar out of somebody, and it happened to be the, the Mildcats instead of the, the Bayou Bengals. I think this team also wants Auburn. 
I think there's two games that they had circled. I mean, they want to beat everyone, but there's two that you just have a little more for. It's that boiling, slow boil, slur, slow burn, slow fuse type of anger. And they had it for LSU. And so Kentucky got that on the chin. And they've got it for Auburn. I think Auburn's going to get theirs <clears throat> on Saturday. Auburn's going to have their moments. They practice for Alabama a little bit every day. They're a little nutso in sort of how they approach things. They've got some talent. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of Bo Nix, but their wide receiver, Seth, uh, is pretty talented. They're going to have their moments, right? And so let's just not get all in a knot when they do. They're going to have their moments, but there won't be very many of them. Certainly not in Tuscaloosa, certainly not in Bryant-Denny. I think Alabama asserts itself and removes any doubt early. I think this is a 49-17 to 17 style ball game. And if the defense is right, if the defense is right, they won't give up 17. I think they're still really good. I think they're growing. I think they're going to get better. If they give up 17 to Auburn, I'm not going to consider that an indictment. But if they are full on, on top of their game, then Auburn may not get to 17. And I don't know how Auburn keeps Alabama from 49. So I'm saying 49 to 17. And uh, that is my prediction for the game. With that, two quick administrative deals. Get your entry in for the Legends Drinkware, winning a pair of glasses. It's super simple. Who's a player who elevates game day for you? And I promise if you get that in today, odds are in your favor. And the second, happy Thanksgiving, right? I am embroiled in thinking about this game and, and other things going on. But I wish everyone out there uh, a super happy Thanksgiving. Uh, as trite, as cheesy as this may sound, I'm jumping in with both feet. I am super thankful for you, the listener. If you're listening to my voice right now, you, you, ma'am or sir, are uh, I am personally thankful for you uh, that you've downloaded the podcast, that you've listened to us, that you've listened to me ramble on for as long as I've gone today, and uh, that uh, you likely have listened to us for a while. And uh, I personally extend my gratitude uh, and my thanks to you for that. I hope that everyone has a wonderful, safe uh uh, Thanksgiving holiday with family or friends, with all the sort of the necessary precautions such as they are. But I hope it's phenomenal. Hope you enjoy it. And with that. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets 
odds if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.